Well, on this edition of the Seaco Sports Forum, we've got the band back together. We've got Sam Bruno and the coach, Bill Taylor. We're all together. And First of all, to you, Sherman, you coach, I just want to let you know where I've been, okay? I, I, I haven't been with the podcast for, for a few months here, and uh, I want to let you know that I've been in my cellar trying to figure <laughs> out exactly how the Red Sox can improve in the second half of the season. And I want both of you to let you know that I have come up with a plan, Okay. <laughs> Okay. All right. We'll buy into this. <laughs> okay. So when we get to Major League Baseball, I want to let you know, I, I want to let the listeners know that to hang with us on the podcast, because I do have a plan right. for the second half of the season. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and right. as we recap, we recap the first half and talk about the second half. July, from now until the last week of August, for high school sports, really nothing going on. Everybody's right. on vacation. Everybody's going to camps. Everybody's doing uh, swimming. Everybody's going to all these places. But, um, you know, before you know it, it will be August 31st and coach will be on the air broadcasting the first Exeter High School football game, which will be at home on a Thursday night against Timberlane Regional High School. And in this year's schedule, there is some unique factors, such as two Thursday night games. We now have our annual non-New Hampshire game that's coming up that's going to be happening. And I think it's interesting that for the Blue Hawks and for the football team, they have a real advantage here because in the first five weeks of their season, four of their games are going to be at home. Hmm. So if they have a young team and want to get things going, they have a real advantage to get a good fast start this season. So Sam, maybe you could just Go through the schedule for us quickly. Well, I've got the first five weeks pretty much down. August 31st is a Thursday night, and the season will open up against Timberlane, which is always a tough matchup. And then the next week is a Friday night home game against Nashua North. The next week is another Thursday night game, and that's going to be on the road at Spalding. And then the next week after that is the annual Winnicunnant game. And this game will be at Exeter High this year, Saturday afternoon, one o'clock against the Winnicunnant Warriors. Then after that, it's another Friday night home game. And this is the non-conference game, the non-New Hampshire game, where they take on St. John's of Shrewsbury, Massachusetts. Okay, not St. John's Prep of Danvers, St. John's of Shrewsbury. So then after that stretch, the Blue Hawks do go on the road for three games. Um, I think they play Memorial, Londonderry, and I'm not sure who the, maybe Dover. Uh, No, no, not Dover. I think um, Portsmouth. Uh, They'll be on the road for those next three Friday nights. And then they wrap up the regular season at home against the Dover Green Wave on October 27th. So, uh, you know, the question that that, that I had for you, Coach, first about the schedule is that St. John's of Shrewsbury game. When you have to schedule a game out of conference or out of state, what goes into that? I mean, is it, is it, does Coach Ball know somebody at the school? I mean, how does that work out? Well, I think what they do is, first, they, they've got to have a website of athletic directors who are looking for an opponent. So, in other words, where we don't have a close connection with St. John's of Shrewsbury, uh, 
they had to have connected somehow. And that's what I think happens is Massachusetts schools now, they go strictly power ratings. So they're looking for schools that are good because if they beat them or even just playing them, they get more points. So, and I believe St. John's is a very good athletic school. They have ranked very high in ratings in other sports that I've seen with the Globe. Because the Globe does a real good job of covering Massachusetts high school athletics now. A lot better than what they used to do. So they really emphasize that. Uh, so that's how I think they get connected. I don't. You just don't call schools saying, gee, I'm looking for a football game. So I would bet they connected somehow where Exeter put their date out there and said, I'm looking for an opponent. And the mass school said, aha, good opponent. If we can beat them, we're going to get a lot of points because year in and year out, they're always good. You bring up the good point, Coach, about the points. Um, if you caught the union leader yesterday, our colleague here on the sports forum, Roger Brown, uh, did a story on the high school sports, sports schedule and all of the out-of-state teams that are going to be coming to New Hampshire or where teams are going to play during that open date. And Roger made it a point, as he always does, that this game does not count in the points standing, but it may be used as a tiebreaker at the end of the season when you are rating the teams. So, uh, again, I think you're right on, Coach, that, you know, teams are looking for equal opponents. Um, you know, if you can remember back last season when the Blue Hawks played the Vermont team, uh, the Vermont team right. was a little overmatched. They were overmatched. If I'm, if I'm correct, St. John's is a Division One or Division Two school in Mass. But now you, do, you just said, and I assume what you meant on the points is that it doesn't count against you in New Hampshire. But in Massachusetts, all games count, whether it be against New Hampshire, Connecticut, Rhode Island, they all count in their power ratings. My question was, and I'll throw it to both of you, I mean, and, and going back to what you just brought up with the Rogers column, Sam, I understand you want to try to give your team uh, maybe a, a, a little tougher competition, especially if it's towards the midpoint of the season, because that's the point you want to start tuning up for potentially in the, going into the playoffs. So I guess what it, the upside is getting that little charge. Uh, the opposite would be if somebody gets hurt or if you get your heads handed to you. I mean, do you see, uh, and you're not getting any points for it, you mentioned that. Um, so w w give me your feedback there. I mean, would you just as soon take a bye week? No, I, I agree with uh, Roger's final quote in the article that high school coaches, the only thing they hate more than an open date is an offside penalty. So <laughs> I like that. So oh, they don't, they don't, they don't want the open date at all. Uh, they want to play. 
Uh, and so, you know, I think, you know, you look at, you look at some of the teams, you know, the thing that always raises your eyebrow is you always look at um, Bishop Girton, mm-hmm. who are they going to play during their open date? Brockton, Massachusetts. Okay. So, I mean, Brockton, a perennial power house in football. So, I mean, those are the types of things that teams are doing right now, but uh, you know, St. St. John's will be a, a, a challenge. Good thing. It's, it's at home, you know, it's going to be a home yeah. game. Yeah. Home cooking. The winter kind of game is going to be a special day for me because I know that's uh, when my uh, class of 73, we're doing our uh, class reunion that day. And uh, that night they're going to have the little get together, but at the game, and it will be an afternoon game. Um, we're going to do a little something maybe special at halftime. We'll see how that all works out. This will probably be the first for me that game at halftime. I'll actually go down on the field with the wireless microphone and introduce any of the, the folks from 73 that show up. So it'll be kind of cool. We'll do something special, some, something in the offing. So that's that's the Exeter Blue Hawk schedule. Have you uh, got anything on the UNH Wildcats, Sam? Because I know that season's well, going to be firing up fast. Yeah, I think uh, I think Rick Santos and the Wildcats uh, are certainly uh, in, in good shape to improve this season. Uh, I think that Coach Santos now with a year under his belt uh, certainly has got things going. Um, you know, you've got a couple of preseason uh, all-conference players in Dylan Lauby uh, as the running back and Josiah Silver on the defensive side at linebacker. They open up against Stonehill. Now, that's a unique, they're going to be on the road at Stonehill. Uh, a new program, I think, coming into, into Division uh, Division 1A or 1AA. Um, so that's going to be interesting. And then they play their out-of-division game. They play their Division One game at Central Michigan against the Chippewas. And so uh, that's no slouch. That uh, MAC conference is a, a high-octane offensive powerhouse. And then they open up against Dartmouth. Mm-hmm. And Dartmouth on the 16th of September will be the first home game. And home games this year include uh, Dartmouth on the 16th, Towson on September 30th, Albany on October 14th, which will be homecoming. Uh, and then they wrap up the home schedule in November with a, a November 4th game against Villanova. And, Sherm, your favorite game, November 18th, Maine will be at the stadium for the musket. Go for the musket, man. Go for that musket. There's a lot on the line there. Side pride, we got to win that musket back. That Central Michigan game, they're a good team. They're a very good team. And year in and year out, they're one of the top teams in that conference. And uh, that's going to be uh, a step up in competition, I think, for UNH. Well, we're in, as I say, the midpoint of uh, the sports season. The all-star break for the baseball, Major League Baseball is coming up here in a few days. And, uh, and the Celtics and Bruins, they are trying to piece together future seasons and uh well let's let's start off with we haven't spoken to you sam about what happened with the celtics and the bruins and now the moves that they're making to try to improve for the upcoming season so take it away well the bruins early exit from the playoffs certainly was difficult to handle uh no way did i think that they were going to be gone so early 
so that is very, very, very disappointing. Uh, for the Celtics, you know, they made their run. They made it interesting. Um, you know, I think the exits now of Marcus Smart, uh, who's been traded, and then we learned today that Grant Williams is also going to be traded. So that there are two guys that uh, got some minutes. Um, I did raise an eyebrow that Joe Missoula is still going to be coaching the Celtics. I'm not quite sure if that's the best decision right now with uh, who's out there right now that who, have, who could come aboard for the Celtics. And, uh, you know, going for the big guy, Christoph Pozingas in the middle. I mean, when's the last time you had a play, you had a player like that for the Celtics in the middle. And what are you going to do with him and Robert Williams? I mean, I, I guess maybe it's load management uh, that you're trying to not burn out either guy during the season. Mm. So uh, that's going to be the most interesting thing to see this year. Uh, I would point on Missoula. I, I, during the, during the, especially that last series against Miami, uh, my buddy and I would be talking back and forth or texting back and forth. And I, and I, you could see he was just overmatched as a coach and, both of us agreed if he lost in six, he was gone. If he made it to seven, he bought himself some time. But the, Brad Stevens is smart enough to put a few seasoned coaches with him for the coming season, and he's on a short leash. If something goes wrong, <laughs> one of those new assistant coaches is going to be the new head coach of the Celtics, no doubt about it in my mind. What about you, Coach? Well, you know, Sam Cassell is a veteran. He played for the Celtics. He's very highly thought of. Uh, players sometimes at that level relate better to people who actually played in the league. And Sam Sam Cassell played in the league. I think Persingas is a good pickup. Honestly, I do wonder about they need a distributor at point guard. Now, Marcus Smart wasn't a true point guard, and I'm not so sure uh, the sixth man of the year is a true distributor at point guard. I know Peyton Pritchard seems to be a point guard who needs the ball in his hand. He doesn't create for other people. I think the Celtics need a little more movement in their offense. At times, they're too stationary and just rely on people to go one-on-one. -on -one. Now, maybe that's how the pro game is nowadays, but I don't know. And, Sam, to answer your question about Porzingis and Rob Williams, Rob Williams to date is, hasn't shown himself, and I, I'm a big Rob Williams fan, but he hasn't shown himself to be a back-to-the-basket post-up center. He is he pick and rolls and can dunk it. That's pretty much the extent of his offensive ability other than to an offensive rebound. Now, Porzingis, he can put the ball, I mean, he can shoot it from three, so he spreads the floor a little bit more. And he's also a pretty good post-up player. Mm -hmm. He's developed those moves. Uh, I think it's a it's a real good pickup pick for the Celtics. Okay, last question, guys. Do mm -hmm. you give Jalen Brown two hundred and forty-five million dollars? 
No, I guess you you're in a position where, and again, I don't know understand the cap capology, uh, uh, how that all works. But I mean, you're almost in a position where why not? I mean, just keep spending. The world just throws money at everything anymore, so why not? You know. Yeah, my 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 stance on that is no one is worth that amount of money. However, the way the NBA is set up, if you do not sign Jalen Brown to the supermax then he is going to be disgruntled, and in that case, you're better off having him leave. I, 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 I agree with you, Coach. I don't think 240 – you could probably spend that money better better, and get deeper uh, for a team because I think in the NBA right now, um, you need to have guys ready at the end of the season. Uh, so you need to play uh, seven, eight, nine guys a night, and uh, I don't think the Celtics have that right now. You guys, I agree with you both. I mean, spending that much money on one player is ridiculous. Let's talk the Red Sox and baseball in general going into the All-Star break. Uh, Sam, what do you think about the All-Star selections? And uh, and and I don't know if you want to tell us your secret of how to get the Red Sox back on track or you want to hold no, that? No, 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 I, want, I want people to listen a little bit longer before I give them the plan. Let's talk about that All-Star break. I don't think a lot of players want to go to Seattle to play the All-Star game. I think they'd rather sit by their pool and have a barbecue for a few days. I don't think a lot of them want to go. Um, I was surprised that Kenley Jansen was the Red Sox pick uh, with his uh, two and four record and a three and a half ERA for a reliever. I don't think that uh, are all-star credentials other than a name. You know, do people right. want to see Kenley Jansen? Um, you know, uh, Kyle Tucker was picked to, to replace Judge, I think. And uh the local guy, Julio Rodriguez, is going to uh, back up somebody who's not going to be going in the outfield. So that left Alex Verdugo out. Verdugo thought he was going to go, who was probably who's probably the MVP of the Red Sox uh, in the first half of the season. So uh, he doesn't get to go. Uh, and, uh, you know, the other thing that uh, I said, hey, wait a minute, what's Mookie Betts doing in the home run derby? Uh, I know he's got 20 home runs in the season so far, but he's going up against Vladimir Guerrero, uh, you know, in the home run derby. I wonder who's going to win Matt, that matchup. Put your money on Pete Alonzo. <laughs> Doesn't he always win? What about you, coach? What about the all-star game? Are you, you going to be watching it? Am I watching it? No. There might be a good John Wayne movie on that I'll watch instead. I agree. I agree. Uh, no, you know, the All-Star, I I don't like the All-Star games. I think you just assume you'd rather elect them at the end of the year. The All-Star game used to mean something. Right. But it doesn't mean anything anymore. It's just another game. I, I don't, yeah. I mean, I hope. All the players do well. I don't wish ill will on anyone, but it doesn't mean anything to me personally. Basketball's a joke. Nobody plays defense. Hockey, they I don't even know what they do now. They don't really have a game. And uh, football, that the Pro Bowl, they don't play. I mean, right. you know, nobody wants to block anybody. Nobody wants to tackle or hit anybody. And it's so... I. I don't really pay attention to them. One thing I haven't been able to talk to you guys about is um, the rule changes this season. 
Mm. What do you think? Well, personally, for me, I love them. <laughs> I love the pitch clock. I do think they had to figure out there was a, a time there where Devers, I think, got called a strike because even though the pitcher wasn't on the mound, he wasn't ready in the box at eight seconds. So I think that had to be tweaked or it should be tweaked. But I do think I like the fact that games, for the most part, are shorter. I, you don't have to adjust your batting gloves after every pitch. Amen. Uh, you know, I like that. The throwover rule, I haven't really – I don't have a, a, a problem with that, limiting you to two uh, throwing, keeping the runner close. The bases, I think, do think they've gotten more, more speed and athleticism in the game as opposed to, you know, the game was reduced to a walk or a home run. I mean, look at Jaron Duran. I mean, he's exciting now. You kind of want him to get up to bat because if he hits it there, he's off to the races. I mean, how many, how many, well, a stolen base or turned a single into a double? I mean, so he's, he's a perfect example of how the new rules have benefited a player. He still has to hit the ball, and he still has to hit it fair. And, you know, but, geez, I like those that aspect. I like the change, the extra inning change. I think that, again, you decide the game sooner. Baseball has really embraced the changes I think the, the country has. I think baseball fans love it. The question now is, do they stop? Do they stop with the radical changes? Because on the horizon right now is the automatic umpire. Robo and, umpire. And ro- no, robo umpire. I don't umpire. like that, that one. Is, and that, that, that is, I think right now there's probably a 75-25 chance that that is going to happen. I'm going back in time now to when I coached baseball at the high school level. Uh and I was primarily a JV, a sub-varsity coach. And, you know, you didn't always get the greatest umpires, and you had to adjust. You had to talk to your batters. You had to talk to your pitchers. Before every game, to figure out the individual ump strike zone. Right. And you figured it out. And I think that's part of the game. You know, so I think some umpires in the major leagues, they they strive for consistency, but each home plate umpire calls balls and strikes slightly differently. Some like the low strike, some like the high strike. You know, I I, I think you adjust. You're you're a big league ball player. I mean, you played baseball all your life. You should be able to adjust to that. There was an article today from Wade Boggs, our old friend Wade Boggs. Right, uh, I remember that. Mr. Yeah, I remember Wade. And good old Wade. And Wade basically is likes the new rules, but he's anti-technology, meaning that whether it's replays or whether it's a robo-ump 
or anything like that, um, get rid of it. Uh, he wants the human factor back in the game. I, I agree with him. I think the the one factor that I've seen change over the past uh, 10 years, maybe 20 now, is the showboat umpires are long gone. Um, there were a bunch of them, and we probably remember a bunch of their names, that used to show well, off. I'm Luciano. Luciano, uh, Torward Merrill. Uh, you know, I, I I can think of a few others that just when when you heard their name, you knew there was going to be a problem in the game some point in time. You know, somebody somebody there was going to be a disputed call, and probably one of the managers was going to get kicked out of the game. You don't see that as much anymore, um, and uh, I think that's that's a plus for the game because it just slows it down again. You know, that's what we're talking about. Keep the pace going. One question I had for you guys, um, start off with Sam. The booth uh, this year with the Red Sox, Dave O'Brien, our buddy, has uh, been uh, – he's had two or three people with him. Uh, Euclid, Kevin Euclid has been the primary, but he's had others in the booth with him. Uh, any of those combinations float in your boat, or what do you think? None none at all. Uh, really just – you know, I just feel bad for Dave. Uh, you know, uh, You know, I never thought that I would miss Jerry Remy that much, uh, but I do. And certainly uh, Eckersley is, it's sad, that's sad. Um, Tim Wakefield is not the guy to have in a, in a major league booth. Uh, Euclid doesn't add a lot. I can listen to Lou Maloney, uh, but uh, I, I, I think they need more changes there. Can I uh, throw my two cents in Amen. here? Please, please do. Uh, I, I don't know, probably the worst broadcast of a baseball game I have ever heard happened this year with the Red Sox. And that's when they had some comic, and I think his name was Bill Burr. Bill Burr, yeah. And he was on the whole broadcast. My wife and I are sitting here saying, we're trying to watch the game, and he's not adding, he's taking away from the baseball game. And he's not funny. So if you're not funny and you're a comedian, don't be on a baseball game. I don't, it was, uh, it was the worst. I missed I mean, that because one. You, they didn't pay attention to the game. Right. Even O'Brien wasn't able to concentrate on the baseball game, right. which you're trying to concentrate on. Now, one thing I will say, and it's not in defense of Dave, but, you know, he, he's a traffic cop up there, and he's trying to be an accommodate, uh, accommodating soul to these guys that he's sitting next to. He's trying to pull stuff out of some of those guys that aren't comfortable, like a Tim Wakefield. I noticed that, uh, Sam. But having to be a babysitter for uh, a comedian, you're absolutely right. I didn't see that game. My buddy in, in Jacksonville texted me and said, who is Bill Burr? And I went, oh, God. And I thought it was just going to be like an inning, and he's doing his, you know, I'm coming to the – Orpheum to do a show or whatever. No, I guess he hung in for the whole game and it stunk it up. So, yeah, I, I, I pity, I pity the Red Sox having to shill for somebody like that. I kind of pity, pity the fact that they have to, they have to pander, pity and pander. I don't know. That sounds like a bad comedy team. Um, I want to say one thing about uh, minor league baseball. We mentioned that I had uh, Josh Moore said on the. Uh, Sports Forum televised version, and that's still running on Exeter TV. Uh, good interview with Josh. During the interview, we were talking about his 
brother, Cody, who is in the minor league system for the Marlins. He's playing for the Blue Wahoos. <laughs> I love that. And uh, the fact is that he was having a slump. He, he hurt himself at the beginning of the season, in, in the preseason, and had to have uh, a, a plate, I believe uh, Josh said, in his ankle. And so that took a lot of rehab. And when he got back into the swing of things and got assigned to the Wahoos, uh, Blue Wahoos, uh, he um, was struggling. He was really struggling. And Kristen Morissette, his mom, had not been able to see him play a game in person since he's been in the minor leagues. Every time something would come up or somebody was ill, whatever. So she didn't. She never made it down there until just recently. And the night that she and husband Dave got down there to see Cody was the night he hit for the cycle. <laughs> so talk about it's usually home cooking. In this case, it was a homecoming. And, uh, you know, really uh, all, all, all good things ahead, I hope, for Cody. And uh, he, he seemed to be getting in the groove now. So uh, from the Blue Wahoos, what's next on that list, Sam? Do you know? <laughs> oh, doesn't he go to the Jumbo Shrimp? Oh, yeah, it would be the Jumbo Shrimp next. <laughs> <laughs> I, I said to Josh, I love, I love minor league baseball because of all the different characters they have to come up with and, and the logos. <laughs> And creativity. The Jacksonville, the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so those. And uh, again, he's he's in a good organization. That Miami Marlins team is oh, a yeah. good ball club, and oh, they're yeah. an up and coming team. We want you got to watch out for them in the second half of the season. You know, they're 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 behind Atlanta. Uh, you know, in that East Division, so they'll never they'll never catch the Braves. But uh, they're a wild card team. Mark my oh, words, yeah. the Miami Marlins. Yeah, and they got the pitching, and and things are clicking for them. There's some up and coming young players that are finally uh, getting their due, and uh, we're hoping Josh will be one of those in maybe a season or two. Sam, the Bruins. We've talked about them, the the Celtics, and the Red Sox. Now let's get to the Patriots. Their season is going to start cranking up very soon. Uh, they made some changes, the draft, whatever. Give me some uh, feelings about the Patriots. Well, I think, you know, the, the Patriots have learned one thing. Don't bring any guns in your carry-on luggage. Okay? <laughs> Don't st let's start let's start there. Yeah, okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. You know, I don't think I don't think young Mr. Jones is going to be seeing the roster for the Patriots coming up this season. So, I think he's going to be moving on. We're not talking about Mac Jones. No, 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 no. I'm talking about Jack Jones. And when you start talking about Mac Jones, you know, sure, I'm, I'm still going to tell you, I don't think Mac Jones is the future of the Patriots. The future of the Patriots is number four, Bailey Zappi. And, oh, and people, <laughs> people don't realize that yet. Okay. You so you Zappi. watch, you, <laughs> Bailey Zappi is the future of the Patriots. Now, are they going to spend big bucks to get some big name wide receivers? Sure. You know, I think Bob Kraft now has given Bill Belichick an open checkbook. So, you know, I, they're going to get, uh, they're going to get some big receivers uh, like Hopkins and stuff like that. Sure. But again, Mac Jones is not the answer to this team. Write well, it down. Coach, what about you? What's your feeling on the Patriots? I think that what they're going to look, I think what Bill O'Brien, who's the offensive coordinator is going to look to do is they're going to handle Mac Jones. Like they did with a very young Tom Brady, where they kind of, yeah, occasionally they throw something deep, but possession game and 
Defense, defense, defense. Field position, defense. Uh, they're a heck of a defensive team. I've got to see how Mac Jones responds to Bill O'Brien. Uh, I, I thought he had a pretty good rookie year. Second year, he regressed. Let's see what happens in year three. I think that that's a big factor here with the Bill O'Brien uh, of all the signings they made. Bill O'Brien was the most important thing because if if Mac Jones is going to develop, he's this is it. He's got his mentor with him now, and if he doesn't, if he regresses or right. just fizzles out, it's not against Bill O'Brien. They're putting all the pressure on Mac to to. to develop and come through this season and Bill O'Brien's got his hands full, but I think he's a good man to do that. Uh, before we go to two minute drill, I just want to touch on NASCAR with the coach uh, NASCAR coming to Loudon for their annual pilgrimage. Uh, before we get to that, just what was your take on the uh, last few races in NASCAR? Uh, the street race was interesting. We don't really have a clear front runner right now in NASCAR. I do think Kevin Harvick has decided to retire a year too early, but because he still can get it done, the interesting thing in the races coming up is does Chase Elliott win a race so he can qualify for the playoffs? Don't know. What about when they come to Loudon? Well, now Loudon is a flat track, so what are your, what's your feelings about what could happen up here? I don't know. I don't think that's a Chase Elliott track. The thing about Loudon is it can be difficult to pass at Loudon. There's a lot of straight line racing. You've got to hit your marks. Oftentimes, to me, it turns into a, a mileage race where, uh, you know, how much gas can you save and can you make it in one fewer pit stop than somebody else? I mean, Loudon's a great track to watch a race at. I've been many times. Christopher Bell, he's done pretty well at Loudon, and the uh, he might be a favorite in the twenty car. I'm going to go with my man Harvick. <laughs> I'll stick with this him. This week they're at Atlanta. Atlanta is a very interesting race, Sherm, because it's a short track, mile and a quarter, but it races like a super speedway where they draft. There's going to be a lot of hurt feelings after the Atlanta race where a lot of people are going to go home with banged up race cars. Because it is a flat track here, but it's a bump and grind. Like you say, there's not a lot of, of room to pass uh, here right. at Loudon. And uh, you, it's like you say, a distance race. I mean, just uh, if you get a car that's running good, keep it out there as long as you can because it, position is everything in Loudon, that's for sure. Well, two minute drill time. Sam, Bruno, you have something you want to. You've been in your basement, like you say, formulating the success story or the future success story for the Boston Red Sox. Uh, I will start off by saying that I do have a new favorite new sport that I got in that I got into that I watch every single game. And that was the College World Series. Oh, okay. I was, uh, I was I afraid you were going to say pickleball. And I was going to say, okay, oh, no, 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 WWE or something like that. No, that's okay. No, but it was, <laughs> no. No, no, it's the College World Series I thought was wonderful this year. The coverage was great. Omaha was great. Uh, all the players were great. The excitement was great. The games were great. Got it on my schedule as a new favorite sport. 
like I said, though, but the Red Sox. Number one, I'm a little disappointed that the Red Sox are going to go into the all-star break uh, close to 500 or over 500. I mean, they're playing Oakland this weekend. They could be they could be 46 and 43 or 47 and 44 above 500. Red Sox Nation are dancing in the streets. Our team is above 500. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. But it's not the answer. I mean, this team has got disaster written all over it. Uh, this team will not finish above 500. I expect that they'll be 10 to 15 games below 500 at the end of the season with the roster that they have and what's going on. So now we're coming up to the trade deadline and now it's time to make a decision. The Red Sox do have to make a decision here. Number one, they need to blow up this team. They need to fire high and bloom, high and bloom. They need to get rid of Alex Cora. This team needs a brand new perspective with new voices and new uh, someone calling the shots that's different right now for this club. I don't know if John Henry should sell the team, but that would be okay with me as well. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think what the Red Sox need to do is that if they have any chips to trade right now, and you look on the offensive side, uh, whether it's Yoshida or Verdugo, and, and that includes Devers, if they could move any of those people for above average pitching, not necessarily starting, but even in the relief core, if they could move any of those players to get them onto their roster, to get some um, players that might be free agents coming next year, that they could get onto the roster now and start moving, I think they need to do that. I don't think any player is untouchable right now. And I do think they need to make major, major moves before July 31st, especially in the front office and then down in the player roster. You look at this list of pitchers, and it's absolutely unbelievable. Um, Brian Be Bello, uh, Bello has uh, some, certainly some upside. Uh, Martin, the, rel the reliever, looks pretty good. But other than those two right now, you've got to blow up the whole staff. What a mess this pitching staff is right now. So uh, it's, it's after analyzing this for, for 12 weeks now, Sherm, I come up with blow it up. Blow up yeah. the whole thing uh, right now. And uh, don't nobody's feeling is going to be hurt. Just blow it up because this team in the second half of the season, again, they're going to lose a lot of games. So uh, you're not going to help yourself at the box office or at the tickets for next year. If you don't make any moves right now. I agree with you, Sam, about John Henry. To me, he's the reason he's not a good owner. He's got too much going on. Is he more concerned with his soccer? Is with his uh, with his NASCAR team? What is he? Con you know, where are his loyalties? You hear nothing from him. What kind of budget has he given Bloom? I don't know. I mean, is Bloom under? That's why I don't. I'm unsure about Bloom. Is he under financial restrictions or no? I mean, I don't know. You can't. Henry doesn't make it. He's not a Robert Kraft. He's never accessible. He, I don't even know if he spoke to reporters this year. Has he? As for blowing up the team, I will say this. I don't know how they're going to go through the second half of the season with three starters. 
I mean, that's all I got right now. You got Bayo, Paxton, Hunter uh, Crawford, and Paxton. And I think I kind of agree with what somebody said. Paxton is a free agent. He's 31 years old. He's been hurt a lot, but he's pitching really well right now. Sell when he's doing well, because I don't know if you can count on him to be around the second half of the season. But I have an assignment for Sam. I'm going to let him go back into his bunker. And for our next show, what I want you to do is check out the budget for the Atlanta Braves, the Tampa Bay Rays, and also the Red Sox. And we want to see who's getting the most bang for the buck. Coach, what do you got for the two-minute drill? I want to uh, congratulate all of the spring athletes at Exeter High School. They had great seasons. Uh, Almost, I think, that all the teams made the playoffs. And, you know, we look for great things from them again in the future. Uh, I just think the spring athletes sometimes don't get their due because too often, you know, graduation's coming up and everybody's, and then summer jobs. And, but heck of a spring season for, and all of the, for all of the coaches too. My two minute drill. I just want to say, uh, if anybody hasn't seen it already, go on to the uh, Seaco Sports Forum podcast uh, and check out the one that's uh, labeled Pan Mass Challenge. And uh, there is there is a televised version of it as well. Um, it features a uh, uh, father-son duo, Joe and Brady Quinn. Joe is a, a, a teacher at Exeter High School, also a coach, and his son Brady. They're going to be part of the Pan Mass Challenge, which is coming up. On August 5th and 6th, that's a 180-mile bike ride that goes from Sturbridge, Massachusetts, all the way down to Provincetown. Check that out. Pan Mass Challenges on both the Seco Sports Forum podcast and also the uh, televised version. You can look back on our YouTube files for that. And uh, if you want to support their cause and to benefit the Dana-Farber Children's Hospital and uh, all the great things that they do uh, to help folks battle cancer and survive cancer. And, uh, Brady is, is one of the survivors. And, uh, you know, Joe tells in the, in the interview that we did with him that his dad thought, well, five years, he, he was in remission. What do you want to do as a treat? And he was hoping they'd go on a cruise. Well, Brady decided he wanted to do the pan mass challenge with his dad and dad's doing it. So it's a father son thing that is really special. It's coming up again, August 5th and 6th pan mass challenge, one pl- way to get to, uh, to them um, on the panmass.org site. And also you could look up Brady Quinn. So any anything people can do to help support the cause, uh, much appreciated because I know uh, cancer has affected a lot of us at some point in time. So they're doing great things. And uh, I admire anybody who could be on a bike for two days and 180 miles. <laughs> Joe, Joe thought he was going to be on a on a cruise ship with a, with a nice drink in his hand that Brady would want to do a, cru- a father-son cruise, but nope, the, the Pan Mass Challenge. So way to go, Brady. <laughs> and Joe, Joe's a tough guy. He can do it. All right. So that does it, gentlemen. Sam, I'm glad to have you back. Uh, we got the band back together. Coach, it's always a pleasure. And until next time, on behalf of Sam Bruno and the coach, 
Bill Taylor, I'm Sherm Chester, inviting you to join us on the next edition of the Seacoast Sports Forum podcast.